Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, uh, the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. And we are coming to you from Dallas, Texas. We are here at HDAW, which is heavy duty aftermarket week. And as you can see, if you're on the video, we're actually sitting in a hotel room. So it's been great to have this and put this together here. We'll be shooting some more episodes later today, also from the floor. But what I wanted to bring here is I wanted to bring David with Drive Shops here. So David really does our kind of helps our core customers. So we actually have the same customer base and their company really helps repair shops. So, David, I just want to say welcome to the show, sir. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be here, Tyler. Um, yeah, just a little bit about Drive. You know, the, I always go through this one saying, you know, a shop owner, the best thing about owning a business is there's nobody to tell you what to do. The worst thing about owning a business, there's nobody to tell you what to do. <laughs> yep. You know, when you find yourself in a bind, who do you turn to? Who do you get help from? Sometimes you may not want to say that to your friends or something like that, that, hey, I'm struggling with something. So what Drive's been found was founded in 1993. And what we do is we consult shops. We have a lot of business man on the business management side. We don't get into the parts. We don't get into the technical work. We work on the business side. So, you know, getting your financials in order, recruiting and, and retaining employees, uh, employee management. We get into systems and procedures and anything that helps the shop produce more, make more money and make the shop owner's life easier. So let's just break it down for an audience. Who is your typical shop owner? Like, what's their background? How did they how did they become a shop, an owner of a of a repair shop? Right. You know, you know that's a it's a question. And I think the biggest majority of shop owners that we find out there, they were really good mechanics. Yep. They're really good at mechanics. And for some reason or another, they went on on their own. Either they were, I, hey, I want my own business or they had an upset with their ex boss. And they're like, I'm just going to go out and do this on my own. And then they get in it, they get customers, they start working, they get a few more customers, they hire an employee. But then the next thing they know is they find themselves working 14, 16 hours a day, seven days a week, no sleep, they're stressed out. And yeah, they may have helpers in the shop, but it just doesn't flow like it was when they work for somebody else. Yeah. So I remember, so I, I've, I've been a service manager, I've worked in dealerships, um, and it always it, it, this I've seen this happen so many times and I could just I knew the way the story was going to unfold every time I saw it happen, because what we would do is we'd say, oh, you know, we need a new parts manager. That guy's great at selling parts. Let's make him a manager. And nine out of ten times, this, this, the skill sets are completely different. Right. Being a manager and being an employee that's great at a job. It's just two totally different things. But I've seen that a lot. Who usually runs a truck dealership? Who's the general manager? The best sales guy. Well, the best sales guy and running a store and managing people is completely different. And it's, it's like that for diesel techs. I mean, they know the products really well. They know the market. But now all of a sudden, like you said, they got to know payroll, shop efficiency, processes, systems, how to manage cash. Like these are yeah. these are things that are. Man, you get a little have a, it's a steep learning curve or you're going out of business really quick. Well, and, and you see this all the time. But like I said, they're probably the best technicians at what they do. Hands yeah. down, I don't know any of them that I would say couldn't fix anything that's put in front of them. Yep. You know, and they have that. I mean, there's a mentality there. I can fix anything. And but when they get into their business, it can be sometimes discouraging or kind of embarrassing to know, hey, my business ain't doing so well. And now how do what do I do about it? That's yeah. where we step in and drive. We help a lot of people help 
through that stuff, train them, give them leadership skills and business schools. Because let's be honest, the majority of those shop owners, they may have went to tech school, had some college and some just, uh, you know, they worked in the trade all these years, but they never went into any business management training or skills on that piece. And it, it's, it's a whole new skill set. So people always ask me like, man, how did you grow diesel laptops so fast? And I'm like, you know, it really three things in my life happened to me. One, I ended up going to school for computer engineering and then I switched and went to school and got my degree in business. And then I worked in a dealership for 15 years and I saw exactly how things worked. I learned how bigger companies worked. I learned about cash flow and income statements and balance sheets. Like I had the school, I had the training, I had the experience. And now all of a sudden they all converged into diesel laptops. So it, I get it, man. It's, it's really tough for small business owners to, to make that leap there. Like you said, everyone I've talked to as well, no doubt about it. They know how to get there. They know how to fix trucks and they usually typically don't have a too much of a problem actually getting the work in the door. It's just all the things that have to happen once that vehicle's there to be profitable and, and not work seven days a week, yeah. 14 hours a day. Well, correct. You know, you think they're they're good. They get the work in the door. And sometimes they as they expand, they have a hard time and they have to up their marketing efforts, which we help with, you know, because that's yep. a different they're getting side started. Yeah, they're getting started. But you get enough work in the door. But then what happens is managing it. And one of the first things I see that buries independent shops is accounts receivable. You know, they start getting a few customers in and then they want that big fleet or that big customer. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, we need a 90 day account. And next thing you know, you're putting parts and labor, paying your employees on this. And the next thing you know, you're yeah. sitting there waiting for that check to come in. And like, but you're you have this cautious like, I don't want to go necessarily go to them and say, hey, I need my check. So. The exact thing happened to me. Like, and I knew it going in. Like, I had been a manager. I've been a general manager. Like, I went through receivables every week and understood cash flow. I had a degree in it. And I started my company. I'm like, man, you know what? I know I need cash. I'm going to make sure nobody ever is past due with us. We have minimal receivables and collect as much cash as possible. And I'm not going to keep much inventory around. And then you wake up one day and your bank account's empty. And you look in your balance sheet and I'm like, man, I got $8 million tied up in receivables and inventory and we're going to struggle to make payroll this week. But it, that's the reality of, of running a business and things can get away from you really, really quick if you don't know where to look. And that's what I mean by expensive lessons. They, they can they can slap you in the face. Yeah, they can be area. very expensive lessons. And that's what we really sit down and we, we analyze shops. That's one of our first things we do when we work with a client. We have a service that we analyze the shop and we find out what are your goals? What do you want to achieve? Because look, every shop's different. That's another thing. Every shop owner has a different goal. Some guys want to grow to a certain level. Some want to have multiple shops. You know, there's guys that want to take over the world. But the thing is, what are the owner's goals themselves? Once we find out those goals, then we take a whole snapshot of where the business is right now. What is going on in the business? We look at your production, your finances, how you're paying your employees, down to what marketing you're doing. We even look up your reputation online and do a few phone calls in your local area to see, do they know about you? Who are you? So I, I think one of the things here is a lot of times when people use the word consultant, people are like, oh, God, some, some dude that doesn't know anything, that read a book is now going to tell me what to do, but not actually do anything for me. But did you actually have some experience in running shops and, and doing these things? Yeah, no, I, I own my own shop. Um, matter of fact, I opened it up in 2007, right in the middle of the recession, which <laughs> I to me, it wasn't no big deal. I'm opening a shop. I'm out on my own. I'm happy. Yep. Um, you know, I, I learned really quick that, hey, things ain't going the way it should. And that's when I found Drive. Within six months of on Drive's 
consulting coaching program. I think I'd like to use the word coaching more because that's what it yeah. is. We really coach. Yeah. But so we go through this program and six months in, I had taken my shop from me and two guys uh, that was doing 40000 a month in sales. We were then doing 120000 a month with an extra tech on there and a service advisor. Within one year, um, I had turned the shop into about a $1.5 million business. And then within five years, I had two locations and we were doing close to three, 3.5 million a year. So if I had to take a guess on what changed was all of a sudden you knew what to look for, what to measure, and you started putting in the right processes to actually run the business. We started organizing yeah. it. That was the first thing. We organized it. We put in process. We started running off the numbers. I didn't go off my gut. <laughs> um, didn't run off my checkbook anymore. That was one of the big things, you know, as uh, somebody come up to me and say, hey, we need to buy a tool. Well, let me go look. Checkbook says we can do it. And yep. then next week, I'm sitting here going, where'd the money go? Why the hell did I buy that tool? <laughs> we return it. So, so what do you do on that? So, you know, you start learning how to manage the yeah. finances and run everything off the numbers and everything like that. And then the biggest thing I'm going to have to say it's the mindset of the owner. If you're still working on trucks, you're still writing service at the service desk. Yes, it, it, there's some of you love to do that. And I don't want to stop you from doing it. But do you have other people to do it for you? Because that's a full time job either. And, and the owners often say, I can handle writing service, I can handle writing trucks, I'll work side by side with my guys. Well, their days spread out so much, you're only doing each job 25, 30% of yep. what it needs to be done. So the business never grows or expands. I mean, and that's the hard thing. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, right? They, they know, I know how to write up trucks. I know how to fix trucks. I'm going to do those things, but they don't realize that's what's holding them back from actually growing. <laughs> they need to train someone else to do those things so they can go focus on growing their business, not just getting that truck yeah. Out the door. And then, you know, there's so many different things and there's so many different things I've seen with myself during this time when I was getting coaching, but I, with other shops, service advisor. Oh, I got to have somebody that knows the parts, the trucks and everything else. I will tell you right now, throw that out the window. I want somebody that's personable, that's a communicator that knows nothing about trucks. And I'll give you an example why. My first service writer, I drug my feet on hiring a service writer when I was starting off. This was years ago, but I was dragging my feet on it. My wife and uh, my business coach at that time says, hey, you got to do it. So I said, OK, fine. So we went out. My wife's uh, we're interviewing different people. I'm looking for somebody that knows the industry and knows trucks. That's what I, I got to have. Mm -hmm. My wife went out with her friends on a Friday night, ran into this gal that's sitting in a booth next to him. And she's saying, oh, you know, my day was just as bad as it can be. You know, she uh, she goes, I got yelled at. I had customers hang up on me. I had this and I had that and the boss and all that. And she just you just hear her just venting. But then she said something that got my wife's attention. She goes, it's Friday. It's no problem. We'll blow it off. I'm going to go back in Monday and everything's going to be OK. And I'm going to do it. A, it's going to be a great week. Yep. And it was just that attitude there. So my wife got to talking to her a little bit and says, here, I don't know who you are or anything, but come by our business for an interview. And she says, if you don't like where you're at, yeah. so that's it. All it was. So next week, this gal comes in and now look, I'm telling you, I sit down with interview. She didn't even know how to check the oil in her car. Her husband pumps her gas in her car for her. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know. I don't know. And they said, give her a chance. So we put her on the front counter. And it was the most amazing thing we did. As soon as we trained her up on just some of the basics, we watched sales go up $5,000 a week on the existing customers coming in the shop. Yep. Just because 
I was giving stuff away. Yep. And she had parameters and couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, I, I guess a couple of things there. So, so first of all, I can tell the audience here, you know, our company was stuck. We, we grew really fast. We hit a threshold and all of a sudden I'm working seven days a week, 14 hours a day, putting out fires nonstop. It's chaos. I get upset customers. We're not answering the phones. We're not shipping things. It's just, it's just a mess everywhere. And I was like, what, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> like, how did I get here? And you know, it, it came to be, we, we needed to figure out and, and do a lot of things that I'm sure the same, we went through, through similar things in our space that you do with your shop. So I, I get it. And I, I think there's a lot of people listening. I know a lot of our customers are that way. They're just, they're just, they, there's not enough hours in the day. They, they, they yeah, think you get, that you get stuck. You have to get employees in there and sometimes finding employees. And that's one of the biggest things going on in the market right now is we can't find in technicians. We can't find employees, yeah. the, the labor shortages. They're out there. You just got to be a little different and open your mind to who you want to hire. Yeah. Because there's there's people out there, but you can't be picky. You know, I always look at it. Hire the person. Hire the attitude that you want in your business, the culture that fits your culture. Technical training, service writer skills, anything else can be trained. Yeah. You can train that into them, but you can't hire a good personality, uh, a bad personality and train them. Well, look, let's go back to your service writer thing for a second. Okay. So... I think most people know this. It's more expensive to go find a new customer than it is to sell more to the current customers you have. But we all do it, right? We're all like, oh, go spend more on Google ads, go do more of these things, get my name out there. Yeah. And, and, not, and we, it, I, maybe I'm just this way, but I'm like very few times like, hey, maybe we should go sell to that guy that already bought something and, and sell an accessory thing or another thing or another service. Exactly. It's just staying in touch with your customer database and going back and talking to them and, of course, handling the new customers. And when you get a phone call, your service advisor's job has got to convert that to a customer. That's a marketing lead coming in. Yep. Any phone call coming in is a marketing lead. Now your service advisor's got to convert that to a customer. And I'll give you a, a funny story on this. My service advisor, we hired, and she's been on the job now probably about a month, month and a half. And we had this one local farmer, and he'd bring his trucks in to us all the time. He calls up, says, I'm bringing a truck over. So he brings it over. The guys go and diagnose it. They write everything up. They create an estimate for him. He's standing at the counter next to him. And I already been through this process with him 100 times. He has to keep me there for an hour, negotiate every little thing. And I seen this, okay, they're fixing to give them the estimate. So I kind of hit around the corner and say, okay, how's she going to handle this one? What's going to happen? Mm -hmm. And she gives him the estimate and everything, and he looks at it, and he starts his negotiation tactics. And she looks over at him and says, Mr. Customer, look, I've only been here a short time, but I was instructed to give you the best deal that I could possibly give you. And that's what I did. And she goes, now, you've been coming here for years by the looks of the records. Yes. Okay, so you trust our work. Yes, I do. He goes, that's why I come here. He goes, okay, so I gave you the best deal right now that I could possibly give you. And if I went any lower, I could lose my job. And I got my kids and family to support. <laughs> and this customer looks straight at her eyes. He goes, okay, call me when it done. And walks out the service door. And I said, they're going, wait a minute. For me as an owner on the front yeah. counter, that used to be an hour, two-hour negotiation with yeah, him. And you were giving stuff away, right? I, like would, I would end up giving things away to him because I got... I had other things to do. My time was being more valuable than negotiating with him. Yeah. So I'll tell you, same thing. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm the worst salesman because customers like, can I get it? I'm like, yeah, sure. What do I, you know, <laughs> you know and I, my sales manager at the time, he's like, dude, like you are forbidden from, from just any sales <laughs> negotiations. Do not give up our margin. Be proud of the product. We don't have to give it. I'm like, he was absolutely right. Like, 
you know what? We're providing a great product, a great service. I don't need to be the cheapest, right? I just need to be fair to what people are. And it needs to be fair to me as well. We have employees and expenses and, and let's face it, like you just said, expenses are going up, right? Health insurance, employee costs. Yeah. You've got every expense is going up. You know, everybody's seeing inflation, everything's keeping to go up. And the thing about it is, is you gotta, you gotta adjust with your business on it. You gotta look at your labor rates. You gotta look what your, you know, are all your jobs profitable for you? And that's another big debate I hear, uh, not trying to switch the subjects too much, but what should my labor rate be? You know how many times I ask a shop, okay, how'd you determine your labor rate? Well, we called all of the shops in our area and we got all their labor rates together and we averaged them out and that's how we got our labor rate. Oh boy. Now, you know the first question <laughs> I ask them on this yeah. is? What's that? I says, okay, so you got all the labor rates from the shops in your area. Can oh. I ask you a question? Do you know if they're making money or they're going broke? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, and you guys are average. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like, yeah, there's, yeah. there's so many things wrong, but I, I get the mentality, right? Cause people don't know like, Oh wait, there's actually is a way to back into that number that what yeah. you should be charging. Yeah. You should go back through. Okay. What does my text cost me? What is the, the parts on there now? How do I reverse engineer this to say, how do I make every job profitable? And then you adjust your labor rate to do that on there. And that's one of the scariest things for people, shop owners, is to adjust their labor rate with their customers. And I'll tell you what, I adjusted mine in the first two years of working with Drive back in the day. I went at, now this is back in 2008 yep. and nine, we were at $95 labor rate and we were on the high end. We we're yep. right there even with the dealership. But from 2008 to 2012, we went from um, 95 to 125. And every time the dealerships raised their their labor rate up there, we're, I matched it. We're, I matched right, we're it. right there with them, yeah. I matched it, and we were we continue to be profitable. Everybody says, well, how can you match the dealer prices? I says, I get better service. You, you don't, yes, you hit it a hot nail on the head. You provide a valuable, good service, and I think anyone that owns a truck they just want to go where like, I'm going to get in the door. I know I'm going to get a fair price. I know they're going to do quality work. They're not yeah. going to complain about five or 10 bucks an hour. The, most people don't even know what the labor rate is that have relationships with their shops. Well, and that's the thing. The best thing I can do is, okay, say $10 off your labor rate. You do a four hour job. We're talking about $40. Yeah. By the time you put the parts and everything else into the job, is that customer really notice on a, on a big truck? Do they 40 notice bucks. 40 bucks? No, Wait, no on, a, on a $500,000 bill, right? But like, what's that matter for the shop owner? Well, if you take that times, you know, 25, 30, 50 yep. jobs a week, that's a lot of money. And, that's, and the thing is, is whose money is it? It's the shop owner's money. Because yeah. here's the deal on it that we see this all the time. Shops will spend everything they make. Yep. One, they'll pay it on parts, tools, expansion, everything else. They'll spend all the money they got. But at the end of the day, it's the owner that doesn't get paid what they should. So what we teach in a lot of our teachings is how do you pay yourself 20% of whatever your total sales are? How do you pay yourself 20% of that and still pay all your bills? And we've that's what we our goals that we shoot for. Now, in the truck shops, we've seen guys up 27 28% net profit of the bottom line. Yeah. So... How often do you tell your clients they should at least look at their labor rates or raise their labor rates? You know, we look at, we, we run everything off of the bottom line profit dollars. So if the profit, if you're not hitting, you know, industry standards, seven, 8%, everybody's kind of happy with that as a, as a net profit. We want our shops that we work with to be up around 20%. You're not hitting 20%. We're going to evaluate how you're charging for your parts, how you're charging for your labor. Do you need a labor increase? But, you know, I would say, 80% of the time, it's not the labor rate that's so far off. It's 
we didn't bill all the labor on there. <laughs> we didn't we didn't even know that our techs did have the labor on there because we don't have systems in place. And the tech did all the work, but then we never charged for it. So, you know, I, I don't want to get into too much of a conversation, but can you really quick just talk about productivity and efficiency? Because those are two terms that I think I come from the dealer world. I know what those are. Just just give a quick overview of of la- where, where labor hours evaporate <laughs> in a shop. Yeah. So what we're looking when we're talking about productive uh, production and efficiency, what we're looking at is if a tech works 40 hours, we'd like to see them bill at least 40 hours. Now, in truck shops, I expect them to be about 125 percent. So, you know, if they bill 40 hours, you can get 50, 60 hours a week out of them on a 40 hour work week. Now, how do you do that? It's about the systems. Where's the downtime? How long do they have to wait for parts? How long do they have to wait for authorization? Do they have their next job? Do they know what it is? And the other piece on it is I'll give a big tip here to all the truck shops out there right now. One of the things that made a big difference in my shop is when the service advisor did a quote or brought the truck in or for an estimate, you know, they brought it in diagnosis. When the tech did a diagnosis on the bottom of their tech sheet, they would write how many hours they thought it was going to be to complete the job. Service advisor does the estimate. And if they look up book times and everything else and find out that the tech saying it's going to be eight hours, but it's only going to pay us four hours by the book that flagged an automatic meeting with the tech and the service advisor, because 90% of the time you'd find something that was missed by the service advisor, or you'd find extra stuff that was been bolted on the truck that why the tech said that. So I met a gentleman once there's, there's, there's a company that does similar to what you do, but for the OEM dealers, right? And that's the world I come from. And I, I, I met this guy once, right? And I'm a service manager. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a great job running our shop. We're knocking it down. We're busy, all these things. And he's like, Tyler, I will, I will bet you that if I walk out in your shop right now, half your techs aren't even touching a truck. And I was like, I'm like, well, what do you want to bet? He's like, all the money in my wallet or your wallet, you pick. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I, I'm not feeling comfortable about this, but let's go look. And we went out there. You know, he was right. They were at the parts counter. They were at their toolbox. They were, they were just walking around the shop looking for tools. And that's the, that's that, and that's just one piece of what happens inside a shop. Like you mentioned, service providers don't have jobs for you. It's all these little things that add up to, I can't even get my guy on jobs the whole time, more or less billing out all the time he has on him, and it just evaporates. Well, and in today's world, trying to keep technicians and stuff in your off in your shops, that's another thing. It's frustrating for the tech, too, because if they're bonused or on a flat rate schedule, they want the work. They want the hours. They don't want to be held up. So how do you make it flow? And that's what we we spend a lot of time working on the shop flow and efficiency when we start working with a customer is how do you get everything, the systems, the parts ordering systems, the labor systems, the communication. As we say, verbal communication is the biggest killer. Tech walks up to the service advisor and says, hey, I need this for this truck. Service advisor, okay, get it here in just a few. Next thing you know, phone rings, customer walks in, parts guy walks in. Yeah. Two hours later, the tech's back, hey, we got that part yet. Oh, no, let me order it right now. Yeah. So what's the tech been doing this whole time for two hours? Well, techs find things to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they do. Yeah. And I, I will say this, too. Um, I remember I, I first walked into a new company, a service manager. I showed up the productivity efficiency numbers and, and they, they were not good. And you know what, though? I wasn't like, you know, it's not their fault. It's the service advisor and the foreman and the manager's mm-hmm. fault. They're, they're the ones that drive that 
Techs want to work and make money. And let's just talk about techs for a second. I, I know this number varies all across the country, but what what can a really good technician make in, in today's market? I mean, I, I hear this huge shortage. Can't find them. You know, schools aren't making enough. Where, where's it I've at? seen different pay plans because it's really it's really depends on how your business sets up on the pay plans. But a good A level tech, um, I don't see any of them that aren't knocking back eighty to a hundred thousand. I, I was going to say, like, the, it's rare to find a good quality tech that isn't knocking down. It, it doesn't matter if it's in Timbuktu or a major metro yeah, area. They're 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 killing it. But, you know, I, w- I had a B-level tech at my shop uh, before we sold. And this B-level tech was – I trained him. He didn't know – he was a tire and oil change guy when it came to me. That's about it. I trained him up. And we trained him up and we sat down with him and showed him the money he could make when before I'd sold, he was making $80,000 a year. But it wasn't that I was just handing it to him because he yeah. had his he had a salary that I was good with. But if he outproduced that salary, there's a lot of bonuses on it. And when he got a taste of it, he just went after it all the time. I mean, these well-run shops know how much a technician can generate for them. <laughs> on labor and part sales and they know what it costs them, right? It's, it's a math formula. And again, it goes back to what you're saying. You got to be able to measure and understand those metrics. And once you know that business gets a lot more simple because you can start cranking the math in your head. Like, wait a second, I get another one of those guys. I can do this. Two more. Well, it's not just having the guys too. It's the employees, but it's the systems, the procedures, how you let the flow of the work in and out, the parts ordering systems. And the biggest thing on the techs is the pay plans. What are their pay plans like? Does it incentivize them to work more or do you hold them back because that's all they can make or they feel like they can make? So is it a fair statement to say the people that own these repair shops, the ones that are just focused kind of on the products and market, which is my customers, I'm going to fix these trucks are making a different amount of money versus the owners that are saying, I'm going to go work on my processes, my systems, my marketing, and, and get this thing running really, really smooth. Yeah, they, they that's the thing with the, the owners will often think, I need more money, I need to do something more, or I need to get more vehicles out. So their thing, the natural instinct is just go out in the shop and work more. Yep. And the what they need to do is start working on the systems, the marketing, all those stuff you just recognized in there. Yeah. And then... Another piece, Tyler, while we were on the techs and stuff on here, also pay plans for your techs. Every tech could have a different play plan in your shop. You may not have one single person on the same pay plan. You're going to build, you should build pay plans based on what motivates the individual. And if we got a few t- seconds, I'll tell yeah, you the story yeah, on one. Yeah. We had a tech and he was, uh, I'll say up in the older age, he wasn't like in ready to retire but he was yeah. up in the older age he was pretty off good off in life his house was almost paid for stuff like that he was working for us and i could only get about 30 35 hours out of him each week no matter what so we tried we looked at it and i says okay pulled him in the office and i says i'll give you five dollars an hour more if you hit 40 hours every week and so we waited a week or two no change I was like, okay, so money didn't do it. Yep. So I told him, hey, I'll tell you what, if you can hit 40 hours, whenever you hit 40 hours, if it's Thursday night or Friday morning, whatever time it is, you get to go home for the rest of the week. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's going to, you know, yeah, that's going to yeah. do it. Like, I'm, I'm out here by Wednesday if who, that's who me, will, right? <laughs> yeah. Who, if, he had, if he had 40 hours by Wednesday, I would have fine. You, you got your hours. I'm yeah. fine. But still couldn't get him to hit 40 hours. Oh, so, okay. you know, so... I talked to my coach back then. This is back in the day. And I talked to my coach and the coach says, why don't you sit down and interview him? Find out what drives him, what he wants, what his goals are. So 
Okay, so I sat down and I was just floored on this one meeting. So I sit down and I say, okay, we gave you more money if you produce more, but it you never produce more. He goes, money isn't a big driving factor for me. You got to understand, my wife and I have a joint account. Um, all the money goes into the account. <laughs> I get $100 each week for me and the rest goes to her and the family. So I don't see it. So uh, it's not that big of a deal for me. Yeah, I was like, Okay, I, I guess I understand that. <laughs> okay, it sort of makes sense now, all right? Okay, so I says, well, we gave you time off, and you didn't take it. He goes, I got four kids at home. <laughs> I don't want to be there. If you give me an extra day home, I would have to stay there with them, and I'd have to do all the babysitting. Yeah. He goes, That's, that wasn't me. I was like... Okay. I said, so I asked him, what is it that you like to do? What do you, what do you do for fun or anything yeah. like that? And he comes in and goes, you know, between our shop and his house was a casino. And he says, once in a while, I like to go play blackjack. Yeah. I sat there for a second. And I said, I'll tell you what. I says, if you hit 40 hours by three o'clock on Friday, you can leave at three o'clock and I'll give you a $50 casino chip. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what happened Did he next hit it? week? Every week after, every week after, he'd come in at three o'clock, like, give me my chip and let me go because yeah. he didn't, he couldn't go there off of his allowance each week uh, or anything else, but, and he couldn't take the time off yeah. to do it. So we did that. And I tell you what, we got some of the best production ever after out of that. Yeah. I mean, you, and that was great. You listened to an employee, you found out what worked. And the, the other part of that is you tried a couple things, but didn't give up. You were like, Hey, I'm going to go try the next thing and the next thing and next thing. And that's what being a business owner is is constantly trying to tweak tweak everything, fine-tune it. How can I get a little bit more out of what we got going on here? Yeah, we had a – I've seen many different stuff that shop owners done to incentivize crews. Uh, we, i seen one guy that had a guy that really wanted to have one of the Cadillac Denali vehicles. So he stumbled across one, and he bought it for the shop, and he used it as a shop vehicle, and he says, look – he got this idea. He says, you know, they kept it clean and they shuttled customers around on it, kind of a customer yeah. service thing and everything. And he, he got this idea and he says, okay, top producer in the shop at the every, can drive it back and forth to home every day and on the weekends. Yeah. And so this one guy, he was a top producer all the time, all the time, all the time. And he was driving this thing it's all his the car. time. <laughs> and it was basically became his car. You know, he was all happy and proud about it and everything until somebody else beat him in production. <laughs> they, they, they said that only happened like once or twice because yeah. he never let that happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Had no. to give up the car for the I mean, week. I think that's the cool thing about running a shop. And I was a service manager. It's almost an endless list of things you can do on the marketing side to get more revenue, get your guys motivated, things you can do. And you have to do that because especially in today's market with diesel techs, you want to have a great atmosphere so they don't leave. I mean, and you look it's, at this year, right? Inflation's dang near 10%. Like, Yeah, it, you got to build the culture in your shop. I always say build the culture and everything. And one of the things that will wreck your culture the fastest right now, and it's happening, and I'm, I, I call them techs for dollars. Mm. And why I say that is, is that, Tyler, you need a tech, so you go and offer them a sign-on bonus and an extra dollar. Yep. And then the next guy goes and does it. The next yep. guy does it. But well, before, the only person benefiting is the tech. And these are shop owners that are creating this problem because they think they're, they can't find anybody else. Look, I did, I was uh, ASC. I was out at a ASC uh, meeting not too long ago. And it, there were some scary numbers that come out of ASC. Yep. Uh, almost 30%, or uh, sorry. 70% of the workforce right now has been in the business for over 20 years. 
Yeah, they're and they're they're leaving they're, soon, and they're leaving soon. We know that. But here was the scariest number: under twenty five years old was only nine percent. They were only bringing in nine, but seventy percent of the workforce is getting close to retirement, and we're only replenishing it with nine percent. Well, why are we? We've got to be more active as a business. If you're in a local town, yes, you got community trade colleges that may get you employees, but you got to stop a step before that. Get people engaged in high school. And I'm saying now get people engaged in mid school. Because if you look at it, we've been talking about millennial generations forever. These guys now got kids. They're in their 40s. Yep. They already got solid jobs. They've settled down. The Gen Z is the next generation coming up, and they think totally different than what millennial generation does. And then if you don't think about it too quick, the alpha generation, which is the younger kids behind them, the oldest of the alpha generation is now 10, 11 years old. It's only, you know, five, six years before they start working I, the inter- the workforce. I, and if you're not drawing them to you now, they won't be there. I'll, I'll tell you what, that's my kids, right? They're eight and 10. And what are they into? They're like into YouTube and all these other things. I mean, that's just the, the world's changing really quick. And another thing that happened too with the diesel tax is you look at the Department of Labor came out their 2020 stats. And I don't know if you saw them, but, but for the audience, 2020 was the first year ever <laughs> that we had less diesel technicians at the end of the year than the start of the year. And it actually retracted back several years. Yeah. So this thing got really bad in 2020. People are leaving the workforce. A lot of baby boomers are retired early because mm-hmm. of COVID. A lot of people just left the workforce thinking they had to have two incomes. They learned to live off one because the world shut down. There's all kinds of things that happened. In the meantime, trucks got more complicated, more more sensors. We got robots driving trucks. We got electric EVs coming. Uh, new emission requirements. It's just it's getting it's it's a really bad problem that's that's getting worse and worse, faster and faster. It's going to take a minute to fix it. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of fixing on it. And like I tell you, if you're on a tech shortage right now, you're better off to find young people coming out of high school or even in high school and giving them afternoon jobs and start training them now. And it, and you still look for your techs. If you find one, great. But if you can't find one, start hiring a, a younger generation and start training them. And don't make it hard for them to train them because I know there's a lot of people out there say, oh, you got to go get tools. You got to go do this. No, let them use your tools. Let them, you know, bring them in. Let them use tools. Make sure they take care of them and everything. But at the same time, start training them and letting them get that path. So and here's another thing. People need to be listening to this. You're not just competing against other shops anymore for diesel techs. You're competing Mm -hmm. against companies like me. (laughs) I, I literally have 35 diesel techs working for my company. And we don't own a truck and fix a truck, right? But we're using their brains to help people remotely fix things, test things. We're having them train mm-hmm. other technicians. But I'm paying them what they're making on the floor, and they're working in an office environment and having normal hours, right? Exactly. That, that, that's what's happening in our world, especially as connected vehicles happen and call centers get established by other companies. There's yeah, a lot of pressure on this. There's force. a lot of pressure on this workforce. And like I said, it's not only they, you're talking about, you know, you needing those kind of people in your business, but also the community colleges, the trade colleges, the all these different schools are picking these guys up, too, because, hey, you got experience and, and you can and teach yeah, for and, us. And, yeah. And we're looking not for the new guys. We're looking for 10, 15, 20 years experience. Correct. And, and that's what happens to a lot of texts. They, they get to be in their 40s and 50s. Like, man, I, I don't want to be doing this the rest of their life. That, that, that's the thing that starts going through their head. Um, it, it, it is a it is a great job it's also not an easy job in a lot of aspects slinging in transmissions and clutches and brakes there's the diagnostic side and that part of the world obviously as well um so it's it's really interesting i'm I'm really 
I'm concerned for our industry. <laughs> no, I'm definitely can. concerned for it. And like I tell everybody, right now is the time to start. Go down to your local highest school. They have careers day. Talk to the guidance counselor. Get with the mid-school teachers because they are so thrilled to have guest speakers come in and talk to their classes. Yeah. And show them all the technology we got to work on. Show the kids when they're, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. Show them, hey, look at the computers. Look at the advanced stuff that's going on in these trucks. Look at the diagnostic stuff. Show them, highlight all that. And then the other thing I tell everybody, right now is I almost guarantee half of the truck shop owners out there rule out 50% of the workforce just because of the way they take they they write their ads yep. and the 50% of the workforce is the female generation or yep. uh, and they're doing it they they rule them out and there is a lot of great I, I I've met a couple of very successful women technicians we've had some on the podcast it, they can do these jobs. Uh, so, but you know, so with all this said, I think we could talk for hours here and I, yes. I know we actually met on the floor yesterday and I'm, I'm like, man, Dave, we, we just got to do something consistently to help, help people. Right. And I think the more efficient we can make these shops and the, and the more we can help them on that side, the quicker they can fix trucks, the quicker, the longer that they're not on the road, you know, getting back on the road quicker, all these things that can happen. So we got to make sure this year we definitely start doing some stuff together yes, and we'll, helping people. We'll definitely put some more of this together and we'll do this. Now, look, if if you're out there and your shop needs help right now, you don't have the time, you don't know where your money's going, you need to figure out something, you want to make a change, give us a call. Um, you know, it's 818-500-9631. Or you can look us up online. It's driveshops.com. And, you know, Tyler, I look forward to helping anybody we can for you. And the same thing on it is um, I, we want to bring you out there to we have to do a Facebook live every week so you can get text uh, tips off of that. We'll bring you on our show. And I'd like to work some more and do some more training classes with you for them. Yeah, no, I agree. We're going to get some stuff going here in 2022 together. Put some dates on the calendar. Uh, you guys do a great job over there. I've I've met some of your shop owners. Some of them buy tools from us. You can just tell they're on a whole new level versus people that are just trying to figure it out. And I know your services, you know, they're not super expensive and there's an ROI that people can directly attach to what you guys provide. So yeah, it's valuable. No, the good thing is, is we do provide a service. We, we got it where you can pay for it as you're going and everything. But if our program's not making the money to pay for itself and putting more money in your program, then we're not doing our job. Hey, correctly. We say the same thing about diesel laptops. If we don't save you time or money don't don't even talk to us that's that's the whole reason we exist for you so yeah. all right so very much thank you for coming on david as we end every episode it's just not diagnostics it's diagnostics done right part of that's getting your shop operating in the right capacity the right mentality the right processes whether you're a one-person operation or a multi-location i know drive shops can help you guys i've talked to them enough i've worked with them enough i know it can happen so thank you for everyone watching listening uh like subscribe comment all those things help us tremendously. So with that said, we'll call an episode and we'll catch you on the next one.